Girlfriends, episode number 332, A Call to Christian Boldness with Rebecca Riskin-Teddy. Hello and welcome to Girlfriends. I'm Danielle Bean. I'm a wife and a mom and I'm on a mission to help you know your worth as a woman so you can find peace, balance and joy in family living. This week, my good friend Rebecca Riskin-Teddy is joining us to talk about her challenge for you to get bold in your Christianity. I can't wait to share this conversation with you. Let's get started. Hey, girlfriend, how are you? Thank you so much for being here. This week, we're talking about Christian boldness. And this came out of a personal conversation that I had with a longtime friend and former colleague of mine, Rebecca Riskin-Teddy. I can't wait to share our conversation with you, but about being bold in our Christianity. And I love what Rebecca shares about this, but I thought this is an important reminder for all of us in our culture, in our world today, There's a real need for boldness in our Christian faith, and I think sometimes we need the reminder of that, that we have a unique perspective that the world needs to hear. So I I love what Rebecca shares about it, but before I share our conversation, I just want to remind you about the new community that I have recently founded based on what we do here at the podcast, which is the Girlfriends Community. You can learn all about it at girlfriendscommunity.com. It's an online community of Catholic women looking to encourage and support each other in authentic ways, in real ways, inside of our Catholic faith and family lives. I would love for you to check it out. You can check it out for free with absolutely no obligation at girlfriendscommunity.com. And you know, if you enjoy the podcast, this is just more. This is just more, a greater way that we're able to connect with one another And, you know, includes live video chats with me twice a week so that we can really be getting to know one another. And I have loved, I mean, we're just getting started. And this community is being formed by the people who are joining it. So I would love for you to be one of those people um, based on what you need and what you're looking for in a faith-based community of women online. But those live chats are so precious to me because I love getting to know some of you. And I've been learning more about some listeners and their their faith lives and ways in which they use the podcast and some questions that they have. And it's just been a wonderful way to kind of expand what I'm able to do here at the podcast, which I've loved doing. It's been such a blessing to do for so long, for over five years that I've been here just talking into this microphone, which is really just talking to you. But it is necessarily kind of a one-way street much of the time that we're sharing through the podcast. So the community has a way of kind of bringing us together in a way that's more interactive and giving you more access to me and me more access to you. So I would love it if you would check it out. You can go to girlfriendscommunity.com and consider becoming a member of that growing community of women that are seeking to encourage and support each other in Catholic faith and family life. Okay, I cannot wait to share Rebecca with you. She is so wise and she shares so beautifully from the heart about a message that I think is really just vitally important for every one of us today, a reminder that we're called to be bold in our testimony, in our witness to our faith. That doesn't mean you necessarily have to be standing on a street corner, waving a Bible in people's faces, but 
many times I find that I naturally fall into a habit of not sharing so much because our world isn't always receptive to it because sometimes it's uncomfortable. But Rebecca shares really beautifully. I can't wait for you to hear the story that she shares about her own experience of this and um, ways that she's seen other people living this out. But it's just such a great reminder, especially in the divisive political culture that we live in today, that every one of us as a Christian is called to evangelization in some form. And what that looks like, of course, is going to vary from person to person, but the basics are the same. We are called to be bringing Christ to others and bringing others to Christ. And I I love the, the gentle and yet bold way that Rebecca challenges us in that. So here we go. Take a listen. I have a special guest joining me here today on the podcast. My dear friend from a long time is Rebecca Riskin-Teddy. She is married with four young adult kids. She's a popular writer and speaker about the intersection of faith and culture. She's operations director for the Sioka Center for Principled Entrepreneurship at the Catholic University of America, and she co-teaches a popular course on the vocation to business. Welcome, Rebecca Teddy, to Girlfriends. I'm so excited you're here. Oh, Danielle, I'm so excited to be here. It's great reconnecting with you, and I'm super happy to be joining the Girlfriends community. Yes, I'm happy to introduce you to the Girlfriends community because you are probably a familiar name to some of them who go back to our faith and family days together. So for anybody who doesn't know Rebecca, back in the day, we won't even say how long ago this was because that's nobody's (laughs) business and it doesn't matter. But you know, when we were blogging together at Faith and Family Live all those years ago, Rebecca was one of the the bloggers that I, I pulled in from the rights for that used to write for the magazine, and she was contributing online. Also, we did some podcasting together, which was a ton of fun. We had a Faith and Family podcast back in the day, but I've always loved your perspective, Rebecca, because you are you're, you're a Catholic mom and a wife, just you know, living in the trenches like the rest of us, and you you'll share about baking pies and all of these things in your family life. <laughs> but also you have this really just just such a deep intellect and you you share so beautifully about exactly what you're working in now. I'm thrilled with where you've landed because, it's, you know, talking about this intersection between faith and culture is exactly the place for you. But to get us started here, I think we should talk about like why we ended up reconnecting. You shared an email with me and maybe you can just share with listeners a little bit about what was what was in your mind and your heart because it's very much relevant to what's going on in the news today. Yeah, thank you. I just had this idea of I'm tired of being against things <laughs> um, yeah. and being put in the position of being against things. And I was touched by, I, I'm on this um, Facebook page. It's a private page where, you know, some of us just chat, talk about things in the culture. Mm-hmm. And I was really touched by the testimony of this guy. I don't even know him, but he's in the, in the same group who talked about how his whole life, his own very existence is because his mom was helped in a crisis pregnancy situation by Christians at a crisis cr- pregnancy center. And he mm-hmm. talked about everything his, you know, that his mom received, you know, not only at while she was pregnant, but all the time that he was young, all the different ways that Christians helped him. And so he said, yeah, I admit I get really angry when I argue about these things because, he said, but because it's so personal to me, I can't help but right. take it personally. Well, it's not my place to tell somebody that they should share, <laughs> you know, what's private <laughs> to them when it's 
you know, if they don't feel that they're ready to, or it feels too vulnerable. Mm-hmm. But I thought to myself, gosh, I, people don't need your anger, but they probably do need your testimony. Because all those mm-hmm. women who are, you know, shouting their abortions, maybe mm-hmm. people who have been helped by crisis pregnancy centers or people who have, who have helped people in crisis pregnancy situations to just share their experiences and why they did what they did and why they think the way they do. And mm-hmm. then it made me think of a beautiful Twitter thread in, I think it was like 2019, where somebody mm-hmm. very sarcastically said, okay, people, tell me what you've done about, you know, born children. And mm-hmm. it was just an avalanche of super good news of people writing in with great humility, but also with sincerity about, you know, all the different things they've done to adopt children to take in pregnant moms into their own homes, to do fundraisers for different kinds of... Anyway, it was actually a, a, hum, a, a wonderful testimony to the creativity of all these people who are very, very dedicated to the cause of life. And I thought that's mm-hmm. the story people need to hear more right. than the defensiveness or you know anger at the attacks, but people mm-hmm. just need, need to hear the other side of why we do what we do. Yeah, I, I so agree with that. And and I, I love that you shared that story and referencing that Twitter thread, because I remember watching that Twitter thread just explode <laughs> with these thousands of little stories, little testimonies. And really, it was like, oh, I guess I think we were waiting for somebody to ask. <laughs> and, yeah. you know, like, you know, so the, all these beautiful things that we're involved in as, as pro-life people. But then I know people, like they witness it all the time, other people and their contributions, and they see this good work being done. And yet, because many times it's done in a spirit of uh, Christian humility. Mm-hmm. People are not going around and telling people all the good things they're doing. But I love your prompt because I think it's a prompt in the right direction to let, let's let stop being against things. Mm-hmm. Let's start sharing the positive things we're doing. Let's start sharing the, the good news of, sure, the good news, the gospel, but also the good news of the ways people are living that out in their, their faith lives, in their family lives, in their communities, supporting people in need. Um, and you you shared a story of your own where you were you kind of pushed past that inclination to not say why you're doing what you're doing, and yet a lot of beautiful fruit came from it. So I'd love for you to share that story with us right now. Thank you, Danielle. As I told you in my email to you, I share the story with a bit of trepidation, right? Because in Ma- the Lord is very clear in Matthew six that you're not to really we're supposed to be humble. The left hand is right. not supposed to know what the right is doing, mm-hmm. and yet I just think there's a moment. And, and I, you'll, you'll hear when I, I'll just tell the story because it was powerful for me. And maybe I, I just felt maybe it would be worth it to share it. So this yeah. is something happened several years ago. I was on my way home from work, actually absorbed like in one of those moments when you're driving where you are partly paying attention to the road, but are mostly <laughs> absorbed in a problem because sure. I was in the, I was about to put on this conference and somebody who was responsible for a big chunk of the work just abruptly with a note, without warning said, nope, not going to follow through. So I had wow. like 48 hours to solve a big crisis. So I was <laughs> working out in my head all the different pieces that um, could be, that had to be solved. And out of the corner right. of my eye, as I was making a turn, kind of, I was about a mile away from my home. And I was right near a metro, a place in near my neighborhood where there's a metro station and a kind of a you know, area where there's like commerce, lots of little small businesses and what have you. Mm -hmm. And out of the corner of my eye, I saw this elderly man who was bent, the poor thing, he was just bent way over, almost perpendicular, and shuffling along in slippers and just barely making any progress. Mm -hmm. And I thought to myself, that 
he looks like he's in trouble. But I couldn't do anything immediately about it because I couldn't just like make a left turn and go find him because there was a, a median in between us. And I had other things on my mind. So I just drove past at first. And then something just made me think, he, this is not the greatest area and he's vulnerable. And I, I just thought he's going to be, he's going to get himself killed. He's going to walk across that, try to cross that busy street or somebody's going to mm. mug him or something. So right. I turned around and went back. And what I found was what I feared was a really deeply disoriented person. And like, there's actually a little humor to it, even though it was so sad, because he was super angry because he had gone into this fast food restaurant thinking it was his bank. And he was oh super angry that the poor <laughs> clerk, who, you know, who serves <laughs> Happy Meals or whatever, you know, wouldn't let him withdraw money from his bank account. So poor thing. Oh boy. So he's yeah. really disoriented and also obviously in trouble because he just didn't smell good. He smelled like the kind of person who hasn't, who's no longer able to really take care of his hy hygiene. Right. But fortunately, he at least knew where he lived. So he let me take him home. When I got to his home, I found his house also in similar disarray and his wife was there and she was completely in her right mind. But I could see that they were very isolated because she had macular degeneration and was all but blind. And he wow. had been up, I mean, these are all things I found because I asked her questions, right? But right. it turned out it, he'd been the one who paid the bills and took care of everything. And so, and she knew that things were not good, but she ha was blind and she had mm -hmm. no capacity to really look. They didn't know where to look for help. And he was not paying bills and there were any, all kinds of crises as a result. Mm -hmm. So I asked her for permission to call, you know, county services and try to find some help and that's a whole other story because that didn't work out too well. But <laughs> later that day, I went for, for groceries and I went and took them some because they had, were eating cat food. And I, I stopped. So I brought them some, you know, just basic groceries, right. bread and eggs and milk and that kind of thing. And when I came in, she was some astonished that I came back. And she said, why are you doing this for us? You're a total stranger. And Danielle, I, I'm not claiming any kind of great holiness. I'm not saying I had a locution, <laughs> but there are moments in Christian prayer where you just know the Lord told you something. And there was a right. voice in my head that just said, as clear as day, and it was a command, tell her the truth. Wow. And at the same time it said that, the voice told me that I also simultaneously understood exactly what was meant. And so... Mm -hmm. I normally in a situation like that where somebody is praising or thanking, I am the I'm the worst for that. I'm a terrible at that, and, and you know, and I'm <laughs> totally aw, aw shucks it. I would have yeah. normally every instinct in my body would have said, you know, be modest, aw shucks it. My mom taught us to be very modest, and so I feel mm -hmm. like all riskins are kind of pathologically incapable <laughs> of self promotion, like to the point where like we should say a little right, more for, for, right. to advance our careers and we just can't. <laughs> so like never would I have by myself said what I was about to say, but I just heard that tell her the truth. Mm -hmm. And so I said, well, if you want to know the truth, it's because I'm a Christian and I just couldn't, I saw your husband and he was in trouble and I couldn't let it go. And I think Jesus wanted me to see you. He wanted to use me in order to let you know that you are seen, and that you are not going to go through this alone. Wow. And Danielle, it was so moving. She, I just, she just burst out crying. 
but it was just relief. You could just sense what it was, right? It was just this relief because she had been holding it together like a brave, she was this tough old Italian broad in a certain way. (laughs) And she, she was holding it together. Mm-hmm. But she was so rightly afraid of like what's going to happen to us, you know, or, right. well, you know, there's nobody to help us. We don't know what to do. Mm-hmm. And she had this powerful experience of I am seen. And she just that sense of what well, just it was palpable. Right. And she just right. wept. And it was so beautiful and still moves me today thinking about it because, you know, because it the Lord sees all of us in that way, right? And so it's right. powerful. This was a moment for her, but it was a lesson for me that I'm also seen in mm-hmm. that, in wow. that way. Wow. That is so powerfully beautiful. I mean, it's very moving even in just your retelling of it. And I, and I love that you describe it as, you know, something that's different from the way you responded <laughs> to this. You normally wouldn't have done that. So clearly a prompting of the Holy Spirit and what beautiful fruit came from that in that moment, but even even more so, right, in the in the time that followed. Yeah, because her, the poor husband passed away actually the following week. But wow. because I made this connection with her and the local county services said, we're overwhelmed and we don't have any help for her. So can you just keep on helping her, which Mm -hmm. that was a lesson for me. Like, in the end, government is us, right? Like what the county (laughs) says is you, total stranger who walked by, just keep on, right? Now that you know this is going on, it's your responsibility. (laughs) Um, But but I just connected her to people. And this is a process, but I gradually connected her to people in my parish. And Mm -hmm. what was beautiful is that she became, over time, just really part of the parish community. And she was not a charity case that we're helping out, but actually she was able to give her own gifts. And so there were people that, like, there was somebody who would pick her up and take her for adoration. And there's a group of people, a team of people who alternated taking her to Mass on Sunday. And she would bake bread for people. And there was one couple in particular who were themselves, didn't really have any parents in their life. And mm-hmm. she became kind of their grandmother figure. They And they, like, they just cottoned to each other and just wow. made a beautiful kind of family unit. And she really supported them and they supported her. And it was just, it was just perfect. And it wasn't just, you know, somebody we help, it was somebody who became part of, a vital part of the community and was able to share her own gifts. Right. So that was incredible. Yeah, that's that's a, such a, a powerful part of the story, too, <laughs> that, you know, that day when you're driving in your car, that little prompting from the Holy Spirit, God had so much so much in mind for what he wanted to do there <laughs> yeah. that you had no idea. Yeah, exactly. You know, pulling over and going and finding that man, mm-hmm. what what he was leading you toward for not only yourself, but for your your whole church community there. What what a beautiful testimony that story is. And I, I love that it illustrates so perfectly what exactly you were talking about, where we need to share these stories, but we also need to be listening for those promptings of the mm-hmm. Holy Spirit, which sometimes is going to tell you to say something that's uncomfortable or to speak the truth about you, about something you're doing or the reason what's prompting you to do it in a way that you normally wouldn't. I think the time for that is for sure here. Like you said, people are are shouting on all sides mm-hmm. of, you know, these controversial issues in our culture today. And not that we need to shout, but we can speak into that what is true and what is good and our, our very real reasons for doing the things that we do, which don't make any sense to the world by the world standards. Yeah. And um, it's something that I, always struck me when Pope Francis first was inaugurated, the first couple of years of his papacy, he spent a lot of time I paid attention to this, in a way, giving us all lessons on 
things you would think are elementary, like how to be a mom, how to be a dad, especially how to be a grandmother. And he always talks about the the importance of grandmothers and grandparents for faith formation. Um, And I think what he was picking up on was something that Pope Benedict used to pick, used to say all the time in a more intellectual way to leaders of what the Vatican calls leaders of culture whenever Mm -hmm. he would make trips. But he would say, he would always point out, because there's a perennial argument in the um, in Europe, in the West, about like telling the history of Europe and the identity of Europe, but, dis- but trying to leave Christianity out of it. And Pope Benedict used to say, there's room for, you know, there's legitimate secularity, and it's actually good for the church, it's purifying for the church to not be involved in like, little policy questions. And so right. there's a real, there is a valid separation of tr- church and state. But let's not forget the why behind the things that the institutions that we might that are necessary for civilization, but that we might take for granted. Mm-hmm. And so he would ask them, you know, if you have a hospital, if you have a hospital system, but you don't have people who are motivated by the things that motivated people to form the first hospitals, by the deep, mm-hmm. you know, love of the Lord and the desire to serve human beings and the deep, deep respect for life. Will medicine be used for good or for ill if you divorce the institution from its, from its original impulses? And then he would also make the point, and this is, I think, in a more like folksy way, what Pope Francis was getting at is technology advances, but being a decent person always has to be taught <laughs> afresh, <laughs> right? Like you, that's not just in our DNA. It right. actually has to be taught. And so we can't just take even the basic habits that make civic life possible, the, the goodwill and the capacity to sacrifice for others and those things, they actually have to be taught. And I think, you know, in various ways, maybe we're failing to teach those basic lessons because we take them for granted. So we expect mm-hmm. everybody to act from goodwill, but we don't say, hey, we don't teach people what it is to be a person of goodwill and what that entails. And we don't talk right. about motivations that make it possible. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, I think that's that's so powerfully true. And in our world today, especially like you mentioned, technology advances. And I feel like we become further and further from some of those basic parts of our humanity. The more we dive and you can see this, like open up Twitter, right? Like that's what's going on there. Um, But there is an opportunity for us, for people of faith to speak the truth into spaces like that and to talk about some of these basic things like you said that we take for granted or that we you know everybody knows that it's a basic thing right i you know i'm a cradle catholic and i i can understand that you know that in the the basic dignity and worth of every human being and yet sometimes we forget that people need that spelled out for them sometimes but the the powerful thing for me at least in my own experiences of times when i have managed to do that is that even the secular culture will respond to that, that they recognize the truth. Like this woman who wanted to be seen, that's what every human being wants, right? That's right. They they want to be seen and they want us to say out loud the truth that they know in their hearts that they have dignity and they have worth and every human being does. And that's really at the core of especially the abortion issue here, that there's a real opportunity for us to speak about that, like you said, in a positive way, not shouting that we're against things, saying what we are for, the the inherent dignity and value of every human life is such a powerful message that I think people, maybe not immediately, they know that truth, though. They, people know that. It's, it's written on our hearts. Yeah. And it's also important, I think, to 
keep in mind who the audience is, right? Like, first of all, I, I should clarify, I don't think that it's the case that there's never a moment where you do have, like, where you're just put on the spot and you have to say, no, I can't accept X because, right? right? So I, I don't want to have an implied criticism of people who are in a position where they must, you know, mm -hmm. state things clearly. I'm only just talking about normal, everyday Christian witness, you know, that we give quietly and silently. And I, you know, again, I don't think we should, I'm not talking about putting on a big light up button on our chests where <laughs> you pull the light and say, you know, ask me about my Christianity. And that's very off-putting and gives about, it gives a bad impression. Right. You know, but, but sometimes in the right moment to not be so quick to hide, I just wonder whether we sometimes put our, in fact, do put our light under the basket, as the Lord tells mm -hmm. us. Uh, right. It implies that we should we should not. Right. And I also think like I was powerfully or it made a powerful impact on me maybe a dozen years or so ago when I saw pictures from the University of, Kab of Kabul in Afghanistan. It was the sorry, the Kabul School of University of Medicine. Mm -hmm. And there's pictures from 1962. And there's women in the pictures and there are all these like smiling women in Western dress and I'm not attached to the Western dress aspect of it, but the smiling <laughs> women educating themselves and super proud of being the future doctors who are going to help bring their country ahead. Mm -hmm. And 30 years later, they, you know, they're behind the burqa and they're kicked out of, you know, they can't even be, women can't even be educated or taught to read. Right. And that was, it just made me reflect that civilization is, we take it for granted. And yet it's absolutely possible to lose civilization if you don't consciously make the choices to to choose the behaviors and the habits of mind and the virtues that make civil society possible. Right. Oh, and, yeah. I remember and we have to talk images. about those things. <laughs> right. Right. It's, it's important to talk about those things. So what would you what would you say are, are some examples of some ways that maybe the average wife and mom who, who might be listening right now would have opportunities to do that? Because, you know, I'm sure there are people listening. And they're like, well, I'm just driving carpool, you know, I, like, what, yeah. what, what can I do? Yeah, good question. And I'm hesitate to give advice because you see in my example, the thing was imposed on me. Mm -hmm. <laughs> you know, it was something. Maybe to be open to it. So uh, pro maybe just be open. But I do think maybe things like if we're, again, in a, I'm not talking about being preachy or being one of these kind of horrible scolds who always has a lecture or a manifesto whenever a mm -hmm. conversation comes up. That's. <laughs> That's not fun. They don't get invited to parties. <laughs> you know, but I think it could be okay to mention as part of casual conversation that you go to church, right? Mm -hmm. Or to, you know, mention that you celebrated a feast day or to invite your neighbor to some of your feast day celebrations. Like, you know, I have neighbors who are not even Christians, right? Who are, I, I don't mean not even, but I don't mean right. that in a condescending way. But what I mean is my Muslim neighbor doesn't hesitate to invite me to her celebration. And my mm -hmm. Jewish neighbor doesn't hesitate me to invite me to a kid's bar mitzvah. Mm -hmm. And so there's nothing that says that if you celebrate, you know, we happen to be recording this on the feast of Maria, St. Maria Goretti. Right. If you have a St. Maria Goretti party, you know, you can invite your neighbor to it and you don't have to, you know, not mention the saint, right? right. It's, in other words, it's just okay to show up as, the, as people say, as you are, mm -hmm. not with a lecture, but to not be so quick to not share as if it's inherently divisive. Like, no, you can mm -hmm. say who you are and why yeah. you do the things that you do. And in particular moments, I, I do think there are times when the Lord opens up moments of grace for a particular 
in a particular moment where it is the moment to speak. And by the way, there's this super popular word now called accompaniment. Yes. And that actually is exactly what is meant by accompaniment. Like the theory behind accompaniment is you don't have to always be giving lectures. You walk beside people, but confident that if you are sincere and your friendship is deep, then there does come a moment where the person is open and starts to ask you questions. And then because they, there's a, a relationship of trust between you, then you can say, well, here's what I think. And here's why I do what I do. And mm-hmm. so sharing is part of the process of accompaniment. It's not just I stand beside. It's also I stand beside open for the right moment to, sh- mm-hmm. to share the good news. Yeah. I think that's a really, a really beautiful way of looking at it and, and and very practical too, that people can understand that. And, but so I think sometimes the temptation is to think that we're being rude or that people are going to think we're forcing these things on them. And I, I, it has not been my experience at all when I approach relationships, just as you described, Rebecca, that, that people are open to it. They want to know more. They're, they're interested in the things that, you, you know, if you're developing a, a relationship with somebody, they're interested in the things that you value and, and what your motivations are. Yeah. I- I think that's right. And I also think, just thinking back to my original example of the, the young man who loves to talk about, you know, pro-life issues, but is afraid to share his story, I suspect it would be more powerful, at least among his friends, if he would tell them what his, what his story was. Like, we're, we, we're in the culture, that I'm not the, it's not original, right? We're in the culture mm-hmm. of narrative. And exactly what, you know, what people are finding very effective is telling stories. Right. And so it's valid to share our stories, you know, and, and I find for myself, well, partly this is I'm moved by, I have a deep, deep hatred of calumny, like arguments mm-hmm. and debates, like what should be the right policy? How should we handle this? I, I can handle that eight ways to Sunday. But when people tell me what my own motivations are or when they, yeah. or when they take people that I admire for their goodness and denounce them as bad people. That just, I can't take it. <laughs> There's something right. in my whole spirit that rebels <laughs> against that. And I think about that because you know, years ago, I worked for a time as a pro-life lobbyist. Mm-hmm. And the pro-life movement, at least at the time, it, had, it has some fault lines. Like, how should you approach this policy? Should, there, you know, should we allow for you know, rape and incest exce- exceptions? And how should right. you argue and that kind of thing? It's not like it's everybody 100% agrees. But when people would talk about, when people outside the movement would talk about, you know, these terrible, you know, pro-life people who just want to, you know, impose their will on women, Mm -hmm. every single one of the leaders of the movement at that time, I mean, I wish people knew their stories. There was, you know, founder of one apostolate who was moved because she was very scarred by her own multiple experiences with abortion. And Mm -hmm. she wanted to, you know, save other women from the experience that she had had. You know, and the head of the National Right to Life Committee at the time, he and his wife, you know, and he was always denounced for being a man who dared to talk about these things. But he and his wife routinely over and over again opened their home to take in women who were in crisis pregnancies, you know, and that was never Mm -hmm. part of his. He never led with that, you know. Right, right. But, But the point is, all of those people, the heads of all of those different programs at the time, all of them each in their way was really, really walking the walk and doing all these kind of private acts that showed that they really did care about born people. And so mm-hmm. to hear people talk that way, 
about these people who are giving their whole lives for others. I can't bear it. And so right. I feel like, all right, well, I'm going to stand up for them. You know? <laughs> I think that's a very good motivation. <laughs> very, very powerful, very powerful for the truth and for what is good and right. But you're so right that we all have these stories that we can share and the, the unique elements of your own story could be very relevant to somebody else. So not being afraid to share your own story. But before we we run out of time here, I want to be sure to ask you about your current work, Rebecca, Thank you. with the Sioka Center at Catholic University of America. Can you tell us a little bit about what you're doing there now? You mentioned your previous role in the pro-life movement, but what are you doing now? Yeah, so I'm the operations director for the Sioka Center for Principled Entrepreneurship, which is a big mouthful, and um, it's the Entrepreneurship Center of the Bush School of Business, which is a school at the at Catholic University of America. Mm-hmm. And um, it's probably too much to tell you everything I do because I'm a little right. bit of a jack of all trades uh, because my <laughs> I work with a team. I kind of manage a team of academics and what we call serial entrepreneurs, so people who've been super successful in business mm-hmm. and have now now want to teach what they have learned to others. And the mm-hmm. Sioka Center has a unique take on things because we try very hard to integrate Catholic social teaching into the best practices of, of business and to have a kind of a new kind of entrepreneur. But let me tell your readers about, or your listeners, I should say, about um, our brand new project called The Gospel of Work. And mm-hmm. this is something that I can offer to them as a freebie. It's an eight-part free video course about, nice. about work. And, and the finding meaning in work. Because one of the things we found in talking to our students, something we've learned from our students and from young people in the business world, is that before, prior to some of the arguments about what's the best kind of economic system and how our business is to be run, there's a prior misunderstanding, which is what is, the, what is work? Mm-hmm. And many people think of work in itself as like a drudgery or the punishment from the fall, and that's right. not what work is at, at all. It's actually a great gift to us, properly understood. So this is an eight-part series. It's based on a book that my boss, uh, he hates it when I call him boss, because he's like, we're a team, we work together. But I, I find it affectionate, not demeaning, to call him boss. So my boss is Andreas Widmer, who is this big six-foot-nine um, former Swiss guard and mm-hmm. he's had two years of being the bodyguard for Pope St. John Paul II. So he has this book called The Pope and the CEO, which was written mm-hmm. more than a decade ago. But the Gospel of Work series is based in a way on that book and on the class that we teach together on the vocation to business and the things that we've learned um, yeah, about, about how to make mer- me- work meaningful. And, it, and it's not only about people who you know, want to own businesses but about any kind of work. So it includes work in the home and whatever mm-hmm. you're called to do. So mm-hmm. I would love people to go to siocacenter.com and, um, and sign up for that uh, free course because I think Wonderful. it will really bless them. I am definitely going to be checking that out. I love that that resource is available. So people can go to siocacenter.com. We will have that linked up in the show notes as well. Rebecca Riskin-Teddy, I am so thrilled that you joined us here on Girlfriends today. I'm grateful for the time that you've spent sharing with us. You've certainly encouraged me to think more about ways that I might be called to speak out more and speak in a positive and truthful way about the good going on in the church. And I know that you've inspired people listening here today. So thank you for that. And thank you for the ongoing good work that you're always contributing to our faith communities. So, oh, thank you so much, Danielle. And back at you. 
<laughs> it was great to be with you again. So fun to reconnect. Blast from the past and ongoing into the future. That is, this conversation has been such a blessing for me. Coming up, we've got more of the show for you, but first we're going to take a quick break. I'm Danielle Bean, and you're listening to The Girlfriends Podcast. Hi, my name is Father Mike Schmitz, and we know, right, as disciples of Jesus, we need to be encountering God's Word on a regular basis. We need God's Word to transform our minds, to move our hearts, and yet if you're anything like me, sometimes you sit down to read the Bible and just you fall asleep, or you get caught up in the names and the events. It can be a confusing set of books. We've created an answer, and the answer, we think, is the Catholic Bible in a Year podcast. It is produced by Ascension and hosted um, by me. For more information, you can go to ascensionpress.com slash Bible in a year. Welcome back. All right, we're at the point in the show where I like to share some listener feedback with you. And this week I heard from Bethany, who wrote to me on Instagram. Dear Danielle, thank you so much for your podcast. I love the shows where you talk about learning to trust in God's plan. To be honest, that is the hardest thing for me. I worry and I'm anxious so much of the time. I worry about my health. I worry about my kids. I worry my husband will lose his job. How can I get to a place like where you are? You always seem so calm and trusting, and I know that's what God wants for me, but I feel too hopeless and weak to do that most of the time. Blessings, Bethany. Okay, first of all, thank you for reaching out, Bethany. Also, that's hilarious <laughs> that you think I'm calm and trusting all of the time. I guess I'm I'm putting on a pretty good show of it. Um, no, seriously, I'm not there yet. I'm not. This is something everybody struggles with. And yes, some people will struggle more than others, and people will be at different places with it in their lives. But this is this is it. Like, you know, the times when I share about growing, learning to grow and trust in God. That is it. That's all any of us ever needs to figure out on our way toward heaven is how to trust in God, trust in his plan, trust in his goodness. And it's so very hard to do. And so, you know, I would say, first of all, your last line there where you say, I feel too hopeless and weak most of the time to do that. That is the perfect starting place. That is perfect. Because what you need to know in order to trust in God is that you can't trust in yourself. You need to know that you're hopeless and weak. You need to know that you're flawed and you can't do it on your own. Remember, Jesus tells us that you can do nothing without me. The boldness of those words always strikes me. The clarity of his words, he says this in the Gospels, you can do nothing without me. He doesn't say, you can't do very much without me. He doesn't say, you can't do the really big things without me. He says, you can do nothing without me. That means we don't do anything on our own. Every one of us is hopeless and weak. And the sooner we recognize that, the sooner we can open ourselves up to begin to allow God to do the work He wants to do in our hearts, the work He wants to do through us, through our hands, through our relationships with other people here on earth, through the work that we might do. But if we don't trust in God first, if we think we've got it all together, we've got it figured out, we're feeling confident, then he, we're not giving him anything to work with. We're still living that lie. We're still believing something that's not true. So you're in the perfect starting place, Bethany. To feel hopeless and weak is exactly where you need to be. So give that hopelessness, bring that weakness, Bring your failings and your flaws and all of your hesitations and your concerns and your worry and your anxiety, bring them to Jesus. He 
will work miracles with them. But that's the thing. He's always calling on us to grow in trusting him, always calling on us to turn to him, bring him our stuff. And yet we struggle so much sometimes with doing exactly that. So being where you are, bring him that, bring him that in prayer. Tell him how hopeless and weak you are and how very much you need him to accomplish anything worthwhile. He knows it. He will love to hear you beginning to recognize it. He will love to hear you appreciate the fact that you can do nothing without him. Because that right there is the beginning of trust. That's where it all starts. So you're in the perfect place, Bethany. And I think you're you're feeling frustrated because it's we don't like to admit these things about ourselves. And yeah, you might look at someone else like you're you're looking at me and you say, I, I look so I seem so calm and trusting all of the time. Well, no, I'm not. <laughs> Truly not. Um, but there is something to be said for the fact that you can grow in trusting God. You can grow in your relationship with him, but it begins there in recognizing your weakness in that full humility of facing the truth about ourselves, which is we are weak and we are helpless. We are flawed. We are all going to struggle and we cannot, none of us can do it on our own. We all need God's grace. We all need his help. So beginning there, I would encourage you, Bethany, just bring that, make that your prayer. Bring it to him in prayer. And then you've probably listened to the podcast that I did about the Surrender Novena, which is a favorite of mine. But I want to encourage you to go back and listen to it again or begin to make that prayer part of your daily prayer life. It's not very long. Uh, Praying the Surrender Novena. I've shared before that I pray it in an ongoing way, like get through nine days, start back on day one, because I always need it. I always need to be reminding myself to grow in trust with Jesus and to pray those words, Oh, Jesus, I surrender myself to you. Take care of everything. And be encouraged, Bethany, to know that there's a certain level of fake it till you make it. Like bring that to prayer. Tell God, I want to trust in you. Help me to grow and trust in you. He will bless that. He will answer that prayer. Bring him your need. Ask him to glorify himself through your need, through the ways in which he is going to take care of you. And ask him to use your weakness to his greater glory. It's a beautiful prayer and a beautiful place to start. So you don't know it yet, Bethany, but you're in the perfect place. Thank you so much for reaching out on Instagram. If you want to connect with me, if you want to share some feedback or maybe a question for this portion of the podcast, I would love to hear from you. You can always email me, danielle at daniellebean.com. Of course, if you like Voxer, I love Voxer. It's a way you can share voice messages with one another. You can um, find the link to connect with me on Voxer over at ascensionpress.com, always in the show notes over there as well. That's all the time we have for today, but I want to give one last reminder to you to go over to girlfriendscommunity.com so we can expand the ways that we are connecting here at the podcast. I would love to get to know you more. I would love to be a source of support and encouragement to you, even outside of the podcast, more than just this one event each week. I would love for us to be building that beautiful community of encouragement and support among Catholic women right there at girlfriendscommunity.com. In the meantime, though, thank you so much for being here. I love connecting with you through the podcast. I am so grateful for the fact that you spend some of your time right here with me each week. It is truly a gift to me, and I do not take that for granted. Until next time, I hope you enjoy your day, and God bless your week. 
Girlfriends is a collaboration between DanielleBean.com and Ascension, the leader in Catholic faith formation. 